Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions. Hi, this is Duncan from New York. Thank you for all that you do. My question for you is, it's just about the fundamentals. Um, as I continue listening to your podcast, thank you for explaining the importance of a stock split. My question is, is that better than having a company add more shares, sell more shares? And provides unbiased answers. Well, a stock split is just simply mechanical. There's nothing that changes about the ownership of the business. Uh, if, If your company does a stock split, it just changes the trading price of the stock. That's it. Invest Talk. Over 32 million downloads and counting. Your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors. Happy Monday. Welcome to Invest Talk. This is our August 26, 21 edition of Invest Talk. And we're moving through summer and markets are up and down. Volatility is here both ways. Uh, but and if you look at the broader indexes, there's not a whole lot. It's just kind of a grind higher. But there's a big story underneath the surface with different sectors and asset classes and interest rates and uh, the dollar and, and currencies. Uh, there's a, really a lot going on. And so uh, that's why I'm here to, to help you unpack all of this because the market is not just the overall indices and indexing isn't the only strategy that you can go with. Uh, there are other ways to achieve your objectives and often, oftentimes straight up indexing isn't the best way of doing that. So, uh, we're going to, I'm going to hear to, I'm here to help you decipher what is the right strategy for you and help you execute on that particular strategy. And I'm going to do that with my mission statement, which is independent thinking and shared success. And that's my assurance that no no matter what I'm speaking about, uh, could be a particular stock, real estate, interest rates, a particular strategy, whatever it is, I'm here to present it all without bias, just to give you the facts as I see them in front of me. Now, I'm Justin Klein. Of course, of course, I encourage you to contact me with your finance and investment questions. And when you do, you get to shape this show to your liking. And that's why I encourage you to reach out to me right now during our live stream program from 4 to 5 Pacific time or... If you're listening after hours, like most of you probably are, you can reach us on our anytime voice bank. Either way, that number is always 888-99-CHART. So let's get right to our first listener question now. Hi, Stephen, Justin. I am holding a few different stocks that are food service company oriented, Cisco, uh, U.S. Foods, and Performance Food Groups. I bought them at a pretty good price last year. I'm just wondering if it's worth holding on to them longer for some more appreciation or if I should just go ahead and and get out. Thank you very much. Well, like everything in the market, there's there's different companies that are better uh, in particular economic environments. Uh, The food service companies right now, I think they're having probably more trouble than average because of increasing costs, uh, but they also are having re, a huge rebound in their, their earnings and their business. 
uh, as things reopen. So their growth numbers look very good because you have uh, low ba- you know, base effects uh, going on there. And that's really the big question is, will those base effects turn into consistent growth or will that just be a product of, of those numbers? Um, so it's hard for me to really tell you which one is, is the best. I have to look at all of those. Um, but let's just focus on Cisco because I believe that was one that you uh, talked about. And a lot of people think Cisco. They think of CSCO, the tech company. Well, there's also Cisco, the food service company. And they've rebounded from $1.44 in earnings in 2021, fiscal year 2021. Uh, they were, that's what their earnings were. Remember, fiscal years for companies vary. It's not always January to, to December. Uh, sometimes it's mid-year to mid-year. Uh, so that looks like what Cisco uh, has, $1.44 in earnings for 2021, $2.01 for 2020, and $3.57 expected for this year, fiscal year 2022. Uh, revenue rebounded 82% last quarter, and Cisco is a very, very strong company. It's a, it, it has consistent profitability, and it, so a lot depends on what your time horizon is, and if I'm if I have a long term time horizon, then I'm holding Cisco because of that consistent cash flow, that consistent dividend that currently yields about two point four percent, and they have a strong balance sheet. Historical return equity is in the low twenty percent range, which is very very good. Uh, longer term, I think the biggest risk is the pressures, like I said, on the uh, on on the wage inflation front. And but I, I feel like they'll they'll be able to manage through that. So I like uh, Cisco itself. I can't speak to the other ones, uh, but I would be holding Cisco. Now my focus point today is based on the story behind this headline: Business activity shows pace of economic expansion slowing. Shortages of raw materials and labor appear to be holding back output, as well as fanning inflation, according to the IHS market data. So these are the PMI numbers and they are heavily watched because they have a good track record of tracking the entire economy. And there is the manufacturing PMIs, there are the services PMIs, and we're gonna look at all of those and what that means and what the market did react pretty dramatically today. And I'll explain to you why the slowdown fed in, what, what happened with the slowdown and how that fed into uh, the market as a whole. Now, I also want to touch on the the housing market. The housing home sales rose 2% in July with higher in inventory available. And so we're going to look at those numbers and what that might mean for the housing market. Also, credit cards and the cost of using credit cards is going up. And we're going to discuss those details and what that could mean for the credit card networks, Visa and MasterCard, uh, the issuers of credit cards, the Amex, American Express, and, and Capital Ones, and Discovers of the World, and then ultimately you as a consumer and businesses. So hopefully that will be uh, instructive. And then if you have time, decarbonization, a lot of money pouring in there, and what does that mean for the sector as a whole? Okay, so that was, that's what I want to talk about, but ultimately I want to know what is on your mind. That's far more important to me because you are – what drives this show? You are the important piece. I'm just the conduit. I'm just here to give you the data, give you the perspective, but your questions and your topics are always 
the most important part of the show. So please bring them to me, 800-557-5461. Now, the S&P was up 37 points today, about two-thirds of 1%. The NYSE, NYSE Composite, that was up 131 points, about three-quarters of 1%. The NASDAQ, that was up 227 points, surged to an all-time high, and that was mainly because of the slowdown in the growth of the overall economy, shift towards the growth part of the market, and that's what you see when the economy is slowing, and that's what the PMI numbers were showing. And it was one day, uh, nothing too dramatic, but uh, it's, this is a good study case to understand the trends, underlying trends within the market. Okay, so I'm going to talk a little bit more when we get to our main focus point on the ISM numbers and how that fed into the market today. Now we're heading into a brief break. On the other side, I will tackle more of your finance and investment questions, but you've got to call me at 888-99-CHART. Summer's moving fast. The Labor Day holiday is already on the horizon, and you can't afford to lose focus. So have your finance and investment questions ready and call Justin Klein now. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Hey, I wanted to see what you guys thought about Costco for a long-term hold. Thank you. Well, Costco is a solid long-term hold. If Whenever I'm thinking long-term, you want to look at consistent profitability, consistent cash flows, and Costco has that in spades. Now, the rally since the March lows has put the stock decidedly overvalued. You have a low of $312 of March in March of this year. And if you go all the way back to March of uh, last year, that was as low as $274. So uh, now we're at $454. Our fair value is closer to $325 to $340, somewhere in that range. And now it's at $454. So it's not a great time to be buying Costco, especially because uh, I think the demand for goods is going to wane as as we have less people moving and less the demand for work, you know, setting up systems for working at home and remodeling your home, et cetera. People are going to be able to go out and spend more money on traveling and services, et cetera. Uh, you're just going to have poor, uh, tough, tough comparisons. Let's just say that. And so I would pass on Costco at these levels, but I would always have it on my watch list, always on our watch list, but 325 to 330, that's the area that would be fair value. Now, my focus point today is based on the story behind this headline. Business activity slows, shows pace of economic expansion slowing, excuse me. Business activity shows pace of economic expansion slowing. And this is the U.S. Composite PMI Index, and it actually fell last month to its lowest level since December, from 59.9 in July to 55.4. And 55 is still growth. Anything above 50 is growth in the private sector. And But, but this missed analyst expectations. Most economists expected the reading to come in 
uh, a little bit higher than the 50, or sorry, actually uh, a little bit lower than 59.9, but not quite as low as 55.4. And what was even more interesting is the service sector fell harder, much harder than expected. The expected number from economists was 59.5, and it came in at 55.2. So the, there's a broad composite that combines manufacturing and services. But services are two-thirds of the overall economy and economic activity. And so that missed dramatically. It was supposed to go from 59.9 to 59.5. Well, it dropped all the way to 55.2. The manufacturing one slid from 51.2, or 251, two, sorry, 261.2, from 63.4. Economists expected only to dip to 62.5. So the service sector, which is far a far bigger percentage of the overall economy, fell about 10% lower than where economists were expecting. And what was even more interesting was you had price prices paid hit another record high. So even though economic activity had slowed in the month, Prices continue to go up. And that is probably the most feared type of economy, which is stagflation, a slowing economy and continuing rise in inflation. And based on these reports, Goldman Sachs slashed its third quarter GDP estimate from 9% to 5.5%. And policymakers expect growth to hit 7% this year. And clearly this throws a little bit of a, a, a wrench in their plans, especially when it comes to tapering. And Jackson Hole starts this week. We have a couple, I think the, the Fed symposium is tomorrow or Wednesday. Uh, Jackson Hole, I believe, starts on Thursday. And so the previous indication was that because we've added 1.9 million jobs over the past two months, that they'll start to taper. But if you start to see more of these data points, and the ISM numbers are very important data points, if you see this continue to cool, well, then tapering may be off the table. And you've kind of seen that with what happened in the market today. Gold was up big, about 1.5%. The GDX itself, the miners, that was up about 4.5%, a stark reversal from where the miners were last week. It was a decidedly weak week last week for the miners because of the expectation of tapering. And I think that's completely priced in now. And we may be shifting the other way that tapering may be less than before or might not even happen at all if you see an ISM number, uh, numbers consistently uh, in the coming weeks leading up. So the that's important. And then growth, growth side of the market did much better than the value side. Remember, value does well when growth of the economy is accelerating and growth side of the market tends to do better when you see the growth of the economy decelerating. Because these tech stocks like low interest rates, they want the Fed to keep interest rates low. Now you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. And for investors, the need to remain vigilant never ends. And that's why we're here to answer your finance and investment questions. So your participation is vital to Invest Talk. And that's why we're taking your calls live at 888 chart Each day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. 
Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Let's go talk to Laura in Atlanta. She's looking at a lithium producer, it looks like. Standard Lithium Limited. Do you own it or looking to buy it? I'm looking to buy it. It um, recently had a pullback. Okay. And what makes you interested in the name besides that they produce lithium? Um, it's to, for a lithium play. I was looking for something in materials or commodities um, mm-hmm. sector. And um, lithium seems to be the hot commodity right now. Okay. Well, here's my take about the lithium space. And, and clearly, lithium is in higher demand as you have more lithium-ion batteries and, and uh, the demand for those products continues to, to go up. Remember, there's two sides of the equation when it comes to commodities, demand and supply. And I, ideally, you want strong, consistent, growing demand. And you want supply in the market overall that is relatively limited. But you want to own the companies that have the capacity to continue to supply the market and capitalize on those higher prices. And the problem with lithium, here's my problem with lithium, is that it's very easy to bring on new capacity. And so higher prices are just simply going to be met with more supply. And that keeps margins relatively low. Remember, lithium, it's basically salt. Okay, It's not that rare of a a mineral. And so if I'm looking for a green energy play, I'm thinking of things like copper. I'm thinking of cobalt. I'm thinking of a lot of other minerals besides lithium. Nickel, for example. So th- those are all commodities that are a lot harder to bring on supply than lithium. And so you combine that with the fact that in a strong demand market, standard lithium is still losing money. Why are they losing money when there's a lot of demand for lithium. Well, they're issuing more shares. They had a million shares outstanding in 2011. Now they have 110 million. So they just are serial issuers of shares. So if I'm going to invest in lithium, this is definitely not the lithium play I'm going for. I'm going for a bigger, more established lithium producer that has cash flows, uh, an Albermerrill, for example. That's one uh, one example. I'm not saying you go buy that one. But I'm just not a fan of lithium. I, I know it's talked about the most in the green energy space, but it's very, very abundant. Very. And that caps, the I think, the upside you're going to see from the, the price and is going to be a lot more difficult to make good cash flows, good earnings from the space. So I'd be looking elsewhere in the green energy space. I like that you're looking at that. Just lithium is so far down the list of the minerals that I would want to invest in for the green energy revolution. Thanks for the call. Appreciate that. Now let's pivot to our uh, our, our main, uh, actually we, we talked a little bit about PMIs, but let's touch on the housing market because 
We also had housing data come out today for previously owned homes. So not new homes, but existing homes. And the sales of existing homes rose at the fastest pace since, let's see, oh, from the prior month, excuse me. 2% increase in July from June at a seasonally annual rate of about $6 million. That's up from a revised 1.6% gain in June and still 1.5% year-over-year growth from July of last year. And what was interesting is that prices eased because inventory started to go up. COVID is waning. There's more people willing to put their house in the market. They see the high prices that they can get for their home. And it's enticing buyer or sellers to actually list their home. Now, the market remains pretty competitive, especially in the lower price tiers. And this is tough for first-time home buyers that are kind of being priced out of the market. The median existing home price in July actually fell a bit to 539900 sorry, 359900 from 362800 in the prior month. Now, the median, median existing home price was still up 18% from last year. So just because it dipped slightly month over month, still up pretty dramatically year over year. Now, inventory of new homes, sorry, inventory for sale was 1.32 million. That was up 7.3% from the prior month and the highest level since last October. Okay, so you're definitely seeing a bit of a shift in the market. But homes are still selling for above asking price, receiving multiple offers. And the typical home sold was only on market for 17 days, which is the same as the prior month. So it's not like homes are taking longer to move, just more of them are moving and maybe not at quite the breathtaking uh, pace in price increases as you saw the prior month. Now, in 94% of the 183 metro areas, prices rose more than 10% in the second quarter compared to a year earlier. So it's pretty widespread. Uh, You're starting to see a tiny bit of cooling, but nothing dramatic, still a competitive market out there. And I would say this, until you see the rental and mortgage moratorium change, which looks like it might happen in September, then you'll get a more interesting housing market. Now we're heading to a break. So give me a call at 888-99-CHART. You are listening to Invest Talk. Every Friday on the program and the podcast, Steve Peasley shares highlights from the newest edition of the KPP Premium Newsletter. Listen Fridays to Invest Talk. And now, Steve and Justin welcome your calls and questions. 888 99 Chart. Hi, this is Duncan from New York. Thank you for all that you do. My question for you is, it's just about the fundamentals. Um, as I continue listening to your podcast, thank you for explaining the importance of a stock split and for a company uh, adding more shares. My question is, what would be more beneficial for a retail investor like us to look for? For example, if there's a stock split, is that better than having a company add more shares, sell more shares, or is it better for a company to sell more shares than doing a stock split? Just looking into that. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Bye. Well, a stock split is 
just simply mechanical. There's nothing that changes about the ownership of the business. Uh, if, if your company does a stock split, it just changes the trading price of the stock. That's it. You have, say, a $100 stock. It does a five-for-one stock split. The price of the stock goes from 100 to 20 and then the number of shares outstanding goes up five times. That's a stock split. It doesn't change what the value of the company is in the marketplace. It doesn't dilute you as a shareholder. It's simply mechanical. Okay. Now, if a company is issuing shares, now that is dilutive to you because they're selling shares out in the marketplace. They're gaining capital. And the most important part is whether they're they're deploying that capital effectively. And that's why you always want to look at long-term profitability metrics, return on invested capital, return on equity, et cetera. So you know whether historically this company tends to put their capital work effectively or not. And so if I'm going to pick one versus the other, I'd rather have a stock split because I'm not diluted. And the cheapest form of capital in, in this market especially is not a share issuance. It's cheap debt. And that's why you really need to understand the capital structure, understand these profitability metrics, and whether or not companies are doing the right thing for you as the shareholder. What is their stewardship rating as a, as a management team, as a board? Are they deploying capital effectively? And that's extremely important. And so, yeah, if I'm picking one or the other, I'm definitely going with the stock split because it doesn't change my overall ownership. Now, when people take the time to leave an Invest Talk podcast review on iTunes, we'd like to thank them for their courtesy by getting to their question quickly. So here's some questions from some iTunes reviewers. Podcast Addict 69 says, I don't yet have any real estate companies or ETFs in my portfolio. I was just wondering if I should wait for a dip in the market, specific ETF ticker SC. HH, S-C-H-H, let me pull that up here, and that looks like the Schwab U.S. REIT ETF, and let's see this, I'm just pulling up the chart real quick, down a tad bit today, been consolidating here really since the end of May, and it yields about 2.2%, it's an okay fund, it's not my favorite REIT fund out there, I will say that. The fees, let me see, look at the expense ratio, seven basis points. That's pretty cheap. The most popular one would be IYR, the iShares US REIT. It's a little more expensive, so the Schwab one is uh, definitely cheaper. Uh, I like REITs, but if interest rates do rise, this is really an interest rate play. If interest rates do go up from here, that's going to weigh on the REIT sector. So I'm going to be patient on the Schwab US REIT ETF. It's low fee, pretty solid but I'm going to hold off just for now. Now, Chris1868 says, Hello, Steve or Justin. I'm a longtime listener from Oxnard, California. My question is about cryptocurrency. Cardano. Cardano, I currently have a small position with smart contracts coming in September. Do you believe it was has a long-term potential of taking over Ethereum? What are your thoughts on Cardano? I honestly have never heard of it. Never heard of it. I don't... I'm... I don't know a ton about the 
other cryptos. I know a decent amount about Bitcoin and Ethereum, and I understand the, the use cases. Uh, and I'll just give you my kind of general take on the whole, sp- whole space. I think there's a ton of potential here. And I think 30, 40 years from now, we will be using some form of cryptocurrency on a consistent basis. And that will be the primary source of moving capital and moving value throughout our economy. Now, what are the main forms of currency that we're going to be transferring? Is that a central bank-sponsored currency? Is it a currency that's in use today? Uh, Or is it a currency that is not even in existence today? I think all three are entirely possible. And so when I'm looking at these currencies, or cryptocurrencies in this case, this is really more of a technical play. Now, there's some with Ethereum and more use cases like uh, with NFTs and other ways to um, build use cases on top of the Ethereum network and others. I think there's some sticking, staying power with uh, some of those. But to me, this is just all a big gamble. <laughs> and you really need to understand uh, deep down the uh, the use cases of these different currencies and the, the backbone of their networks. And, and uh, I'm not an expert there. So I can't give you a buy or sell, but I knew, I knew Cardano is, looks like the chart's pretty good, uh, but it is definitely overbought on the near term. But as we've seen with cryptocurrencies, overbought can stay overbought for a long period of time. Now let's take one more iTunes review question. DW12345 says, I'm curious if you had any suggestions on what to do with Romeo Power. R-M-O is the symbol. I hold a position on it around 18 and the shorts have absolutely plummeted the last two days and is very bearish financials. Okay, Romeo Power manufactures energy-dense lithium-ion battery modules and packs for commercial electric vehicles. Hmm, this looks like it went IPO via SPAC. Most of these SPACs are very complex. They have very little sales. Last quarter, sales $900,000. 18% decline year over year in sales. Lost $0.22. Cents. Expect to lose a dollar this year. Market cap of $675 million. I'm, I'm passing on this. Uh, I like the battery space, but clearly they're having a lot of trouble. Now, it looks oversold. You got a little bounce today. Uh, but the fundamentals do not look promising here, and I would really have to dig into the full details of this. What's happening with the warrants? Where do those trigger? Uh, has this been liquidated by uh, maybe some private equity funds? With these SPACs, they're so complex with who owns them, what their motive is to get in and out uh, in the near term. Uh, a lot of them have uh, dubious stories. And remember, the SPACs, they need to deploy the capital. So typically, they're overpaying for the businesses as well. They, need, they have two years to deploy it. And that puts the, these private companies in the driver's seat because they know that these SPACs, there's 200 of them sitting out there, buckets of money ready to buy these private companies. And frankly, they'll get, they, can, they can dictate the terms. And for the shareholder, that means bad things, typically. So I'm passing on RMO. Now let's pivot back to the Invest Talk Voice Bank for a question that came in earlier from a listener in Texas. Hi, Stephen Justin. This is Jeffrey calling from El Paso, Texas. I was wondering if I could get your thoughts 
on uh, ticker Mike Bravo Tango. This is a mobile telesystems, a uh, Russian conglomerate that trades on the uh, U.S. exchange. I own it mainly for the uh, the dividend and the uh, Russian emerging markets exposure. I was wondering if you'd comment on the stock as well as the uh, the Russian economy and currency outlook as a whole. Thanks for all that you do. All right, this is MBT, and this is actually a name that's been on my watch list. Haven't pulled the trigger. Uh, I actually really like the name. Long-term profitability is very, very strong, and cash flows. Clearly, the fact that they are Russian makes it a little less tenable. Uh, probably the biggest reason why I haven't pulled the trigger. But it does yield about 8.6%. And when it comes to Russia, there's obviously geopolitical risk. But there's also currency risk with the ruble. Uh, their main main business is in Russia. And so their revenues are in rubles. And if the ruble appreciates, that tends to be good for MBT and their earnings translated back into dollars and vice versa. Now, if the remember, the Russian economy as mainly driven on resources, primarily oil and natural gas, and they have a lot of it. And so if oil and natural gas prices are going up, the ruble tends to be strong. Now, there's always caveats, once again, with geopolitical concerns, etc. But this is going to have correlation to oil prices in a big way. And so I like this. I would hold it. Uh, I like the emerging market exposure. This is probably my favorite name within Russia, even though I don't love Russia as an investment uh, country to invest in. But if I'm going to invest in one, this is probably it. And so I would be holding MBT, which is Mobile Telesystems, and it's an ADR from Russia. Now, summer is well underway, and I think it's a good time to Mention the benefits of working with myself or Steve Peasley out of my company, KPP Financial, which we operate with the same philosophy there as we do here, which is independent thinking and shared success. And we implement that by using parallel investing, which means we invest right alongside our clients and we practice and we give unbiased guidance both on air and off as well. So I encourage you to take advantage of our free portfolio review assessment via telephone or go to meetings. Just send us a message through investtalk.com or call our KPP financial offices in Irvine, California at 800-557-5461. We want to help in any way, just a quick conversation. Maybe we can help, maybe we can't, but we don't know until we jump on a call. So I encourage you to reach out if you have any questions. Now, next up, we will play a voice bank question that came in earlier from Canada here on Invest Talk. Our Invest Talk mission to help you make better investing decisions. To do that on your own, thumbs up or thumbs down choices based on good, solid investing principles. But we need your questions to keep us on track. 888-99-CHART or click on Contact Steve or Contact Justin on investtalk.com. Hi, Steve. Uh, Justin, good evening. Happy Friday. This is Sid from Canada. I have one position in ECPG. Encore Capital Group. I'm sitting with approximately 20% profit, but looking at the stock and earnings plus the institutions count, 
this looks like more promising and could be a long term though i had initially purchased only for the short term could you please look at this stock and let me know if there is any more potential and i should go for more investment or should i keep it as it is thank you so much for your time and the guidance looking forward to listen your response on the podcast thank you bye all right looking at encore capital group and this is actually a name that we've own for clients. I think we started buying it in the low to mid 30s. And now we're at 46 spot 60 at the close today. And this is a company that is pretty cheap uh, based on the the current earnings projections as well as has past earnings. So if you look at the expected earnings for this year of $10 and 13 cents, it's a $46 stock. Now what they do is they purchase, collect and manage unsecured consumer credit card receivables. What that means is they buy the bad debt from the credit card companies and they go collect on it. And so there was a lot of expectations that they would do very well early on the pandemic because there would be all these bad this bad debt. Well, the stimulus packages actually hurt them in some ways because uh, their bad debt was not nearly as big as what it could be expected. Earnings per share in June of last year was $4.34 and then only $1.30 in the fourth quarter. But it's rebounded to $3.07 last quarter and it's it's growing uh, nicely. And historically, the return equity is pretty strong. Over the last decades, average in the high teens, about 18, 19%, which we really like. And they have consistent growing cash flows. And so that's that's really why we like the name. It's been consolidating up here in the mid 40s really since early June. And to me it's just gaining power to break to all-time highs, which the all-time high is back in 2017 around $51 a share, and that's when they were making $4 a share. Now they're making 10 expected this year. And it's supposed to drop a bit next year, but still $8.88 expected for 2022. So great value, solid company. We're a fan of it. We've owned it, and we'll continue to own it most likely. Thanks for the call. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278 is how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Now, quickly, I want to cover credit card fees. And what's interesting is that as of five years ago, about 2% or less of businesses charged fees on credit card purchases, meaning they would charge a surcharge on top of whatever their, their normal charges for their services. You see this sometimes at gas stations where the cash price is this and the credit card price is this. Well, that's happening more and more. Now, about 5% of the 8 million card-accepting small businesses in the U.S. charge an extra fee for credit card payments. And CardX LLC, which is has surcharge calculating software, has 6,400 merchants, and that's up from 2,380 merchants in 2019. So what they're seeing with the pandemic is as more and more people are using credit cards, it's a growing part of their costs for these small businesses, and more and more are passing on those costs to consumers. And so this is a bit of a uh, kind of inflation in some ways, and uh, I think this is the start of, I think, the downfall of the credit card networks. I think that cryptocurrencies and the be able to move value around the internet uh, at a much cheaper rate 
then credit cards is going to eventually change the dynamic of the industry and make it cheaper to transact. So be on the lookout for that. Now we're heading to our last break, so give me a call at 888-99-CHART. Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve and Justin. This is Derek calling about Zillow, ticker symbol Z. It looks pretty low right now, and I've been reading that they're buying properties and renting them out across the country and wanted to know what you guys thought about that company. Also, I'm curious to know about this question, whether it's fact or fiction. I've been told from a couple different resources that trying to beat the S&P 500 over a period of about 10 years typically fails. And the wisest move an investor can do is just go with the S&P 500. I'm really curious to know what your experience has been with that and what your thoughts are on that. And also, if you have any factual evidence in that regard, I'd love to know because I'm just a curious investor, as you know. Thank you guys so much for the show. I'll listen on the podcast. Bye. All right. Looking at Zillow Group, first off, and this is a name, yes, they have been buying a lot of single family homes uh, and flipping. And that's uh, one way that they've been trying to drive growth in their business. The problem is, is that it's an inherently risky proposition and uh, it's it's difficult for them to really do that profitably. And so the price of this has gone from $208 a share all the way down to $97, down 53% over the past five months or so, six months. And our fee value is around $65 and now it's at 97. Uh, so it needs to come down a lot more for it to look relatively attractive. So uh, technically it looks poor, fundamentally remains poor, and it's entering a uh, notoriously difficult uh, business. So uh, I would rather stay a tech company as opposed to trying to be a very, very asset heavy company as uh, asset light companies tend to have better margins and they're, they're changing their business model. And I don't think that's necessarily a good thing. And they've been issuing a ton of shares diluting shareholders. So I'm passing on Zillow. And then your other question about uh, being the S&P, you can beat the S&P if you have the time and uh, discipline and data to do proper analysis of underlying businesses and build uh, a portfolio of companies that have uh, good leadership and catalysts going forward. And there are plenty of managers out there. Uh, that have beat the beat the S and P consistently. The problem is, is that this this is my biggest issue with that stat is oh you can't beat the S and P. Well, yes, the average mutual fund out there does not beat the S and P. Why? Because if you take all the mutual funds in the world and you look at uh, you you aggregate them together, well, they're just the market. And then you layer on a higher than average fee because most mutual funds have higher than average fees, uh, especially compared to those uh, low fee index funds, you're going to net-net have a lower return. But there are thousands of great managers, both in the public uh, mutual fund markets as well as the private markets, that can consistently beat the S&P longer term. Now, the average person doing it is very difficult. 
because once again, don't have the discipline, don't have the data, don't have the time, the expertise to really build a portfolio that has staying power and durability in a lot of different market environments. And so if you don't have that, and that's okay, sometimes that's okay. If you don't have the passion, the time to do it, then indexing is not the worst thing. But if you can apply yourself like a professional, like we do, you can beat the overall market. Now let's fit in one more iTunes review question from DGS140. Do you like coin as a speculative play? If they're able to transition to new revenue, their earnings were excellent. So I believe their money will help them into other crypto businesses. Uh, I, I don't like Coinbase uh, because I think that there's they were kind of the first mover, kind of the Robin Hood, shall we say, in this whole millennial investing phase. And it's just shown, especially with Robinhood, that they have problems. That's why I would say no one should be with Robinhood and they should move to one of the big brokers, etc. Same with crypto transactions. Uh, there's the PayPals of the world. There's a lot of other fintech companies that you can transact uh, cryptocurrency on. There's nothing special about them. It's about the user experience. The Coinbase was just kind of the first mover. And that will give them some time. But I think the durability of that is greatly in question. I think 26% of their recent revenue was a Dogecoin. And we know the the durability of that type of uh, business. So uh, I'm passing on Coin. It's been in downtrend since it went IPO. It's getting a little bit of strength recently, but nothing to write home about. And so I'm passing on Coinbase. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Pease and I thank you for listening. And we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads. Now with over 34 million in history. You can find them for free over at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play, as well as investtalk.com. Be sure to rate and review. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, Call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.